The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and we're celebrating the life of one of the pioneers of Christian metal, one of the greatest rock and roll evangelists of all time, Bloodgood founder and bass player Michael Bloodgood. We got the sad news last Friday that Michael had passed away. Michael suffered a stroke back in February, just one day after the band had hosted a special sneak preview screening of their upcoming documentary, Trenches of Rock, and played their first live show in over two years for their fans in Versailles, Ohio, at the BMI Center. I was there, uh, hosted the Q&A session after the screening, and it's crazy, I've been holding on to uh, this Q&A session, waiting for the right time, and I legit was going to post it today to preview and promote the Immortal Fest that's happening at the BMI Event Center of Versailles, Ohio, the same place where we saw Bloodgood. So I was holding it for this day, and um, like I just said, Mike Bloodgood passed away just a few days prior. So it really is just uh, the timing of this has been incredible. So um, releasing it today after we got this news about Michael's passing, but we decided to do a tribute to Michael Bloodgood. Uh, and his namesake bands, one of the first Christian metal bands I discovered in 1987 when I was 16 years old, and one that remains a favorite of mine to this day. One of my favorite nights I've had in a long time was seeing Bloodgood back in February, and then, of course, one of the worst nights was hearing about Michael Stroke just the day after. Uh, but the documentary, Trenches of Rock, which we discussed at the Q&A, is, is, is an incredible look at this band. Never a band who did it for the money. They did it for, uh, for the love of music and for the love of God. Uh, Trenches of Rock is the documentary. It's being released finally uh, on streaming on August 30th on iTunes. You can pre-order it now on iTunes and please leave a rating and review for the doc while you're there. It'll help the band a lot. It'll get uh, Netflix involved and this band's story needs to be seen. And I know uh, Michael and the rest of Bloodgood would appreciate it as well. And if you want to celebrate the music that Michael loved and there'll probably be a tribute to, to Michael Bloodgood, then please check out Immortal Fest happening Labor Day weekend at the BMI Event Center in Versailles, Ohio, just outside of Dayton. The venue is actually amazing. You won't believe it. It's like, what's Versailles, Ohio? Uh, this uh, this venue is, is over-the-top uh, a killer. Uh, and it's a three-day Christian metal festival, including 11 bands uh, with some of the greats, Saint, White Cross, and Baron Cross. 
I will be there to host a live Q&A for Baron Cross as well. I'm the special guest MC on Saturday, September 3rd. I'll be there to check out Baron Cross, and I'll be there to interview them live, just like I did with Bloodgood back in February. So get your tickets now at BMIEventCenter.com. If you love Christian Heavy Metal, uh, come check it out. If you love Chris Jericho, come check it out. I'll be there. I'll be doing a meet and greet as well. So BMIEventCenter.com. Uh, come check out Immortal Fest. So before we get to the Q&A with Michael Bloodgood, singer Les Carlson and guitar player Paul Jackson, all who have been in Bloodgood for decades, you hear my conversation with Les. Uh, obviously, he and Michael were the uh, cornerstones of the band Bloodgood, and I connected with him over the weekend. We talked about Michael's last few months on Earth, just the horrible uh, circumstances that led to him having this stroke, and he never went back to Seattle after uh, after playing that gig in Ohio. Uh, we'll talk about Les's future plans, the future of Bloodgood without their namesake leader, and Les shares some great stories and fun memories of his best friend. It's a tribute to the late, great Michael Bloodgood, my conversation with Les Carlson after Michael passed away, followed by what turned out to be Michael's last interview uh, in front of his fans in Versailles, Ohio, back in February, the live Q&A with Paul Les and Michael Bloodgood. So here it is. This is a tribute to, once again, like I said, one of the greatest rock and roll evangelists of all time and just a great human being overall. God bless you, Mike. Thank you for the friendship. Thank you for the music, and thank you for all of the work you did for Jesus Christ here on Earth. Here it is, the last interview of Michael Bloodgood with a few words from his best friend, Les Carlson. It's a tribute to Mike right here on Talk is Jericho. Sad news from last week with the, uh, the passing of Michael Bloodgood, great friend to both of us, obviously Les Carlson's partner for many, many decades and one of the pioneers of Christian heavy metal, one of the greatest rock and roll evangelists of all time. And um, you don't have to get too deep in the woods with it, Les, but it's, it's actually pretty crazy because we had this amazing night in February in Versailles, Ohio. And um, the next night wasn't as good. Yeah. February 19th. An amazing, amazing night. I mean, it just was, it was uh, surreal, actually. And uh, Michael and I were so excited after the show. I mean, I just remember him and I on stage giving that sign like, dude, we are back. You know, like, we haven't played for so long. And and then you were the MC, and White Cross was there. It was just incredible. And uh, coming off that that stage that night, and and then meeting in the church the next day, talking in front of the church, and going out for lunch, and saying goodbye to Michael because I was going to fly back, and he was going to stay. Him and Marilyn were going to stay in Dayton for a few more nights because they had friends there. I fly back. I get all the way back to California. I get a phone call that Michael has had a stroke and he's been rushed to the hospital. Hmm. So super high to super low. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, and this, you know, he was basically in that hospital for the last four or five months. Right. And then, yeah. Was kind of working his way back home when, when he finally, finally passed away. Yes. So all the way from February and from then, until just just recently, he was in a hospital in Dayton, 
And uh, we flew back to see him right away. And he was not able to speak. He couldn't open his eyes. He had a, a breathing tube. Uh, but he could squeeze our hands when we talked to him and, and that sort of thing. And so then we just kept praying and, and he eventually, eventually began to show signs of life. Comes to, come to find out he was aware of everything the whole time. Really? He heard wow. everything. And, because uh, later on when I spoke with him, I said, do you remember me kissing you on the forehead? And he goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying goodbye to him. And, and um, uh, the doctors were giving these scenarios of how horrible it was. And I was saying, Michael, don't listen to that. And, and then he actually got moved to a rehab place where he was getting better. He had a tracheotomy to breathe, but then all of that got removed and he got to rehab. They moved him to uh, St. Louis and he was picked up in the heavy metal church bus <laughs> and, and brought there. And it was unreal and it looked like michael was coming back and coming back strong and uh i had the opportunity to actually talk to him on the phone a few times and facetime with him and, and affirm our our friendship and our love for each other and he blessed me you know to mm -hmm. go on and and um it was so good and i, I was just figuring that he's, he's just gonna make it and then last week he got covid and so they took him out of that rehab to the hospital in uh, St. Louis. And then he was fighting that. He had pneumonia and COVID, apparently. And I, I don't know if I have all the details correct. Right, 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 right. I was not there, but this is what I've kind of heard on the fringe. And then he was beating that. And But unfortunately, when he was in the hospital, Marilyn could not be with him. So now he was separated from her. And she'd been by his side. A whole the time, whole time day one him and the, you know paul michael was there too quite often and the, the other His son, sons yeah, yeah adam and, and mark david and then he was released from the icu and so we all thought yay great you know now we just have to find a place for him to to live and get him the gear to work out with and everything he needs and get him out of the system so we were thinking that and then I called Marilyn the day before yesterday. I said, hey, Marilyn, how's Michael? She said, I can't talk right now. I'm in ICU. And I thought, what? Oh, my gosh. And she said, I'll call you back. Well, I got a call later from David Safiro. And he said that they had to put the tube back down into Michael. And uh, I went, oh, my God. That's not good. Yeah. And so we, you know, we prayed. And, and uh, the next morning, I got a call from David again early in the morning said that Michael had passed. Now, for me as a friend, that's obviously that hurt, but I know where he is. And Michael and I, for right. ever since we met, our whole thing was to tell people about, about Jesus, the gospel, and to not preach it, but to live it and to be an example of it. And Michael was an amazing man in that regard. Absolutely. And, and, and like I mentioned earlier, I mean, you know, it's bittersweet when, when you have such a devout, you know, Christian pass away for all of us here on earth, but it's his ultimate reward. And let's talk about kind of just the amazing work that he did and you with him in being evangelists. You talk about this, I mean, for 40 years, blood good has been spreading the word of, of Jesus and, 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 
the word and to myself. I mean, since 1987, when I first heard you guys, this was a life well lived and quite accomplished in, in so many ways. Yeah. I mean, my mind has been flooded with, with visions and pictures of what we've done uh, in the way. And, you know, it wasn't, mm. it wasn't easy back in the day when we first started doing it because the idea of heavy metal in the, in the Christian community was like, absolutely not. That cannot be of God. And so we had all that opposition, mm. but there was such a, a, a true calling in our hearts that we just, we were, you know, we were just going for it. We were, like, <laughs> we're out there in the RV right. and the truck and the van and the luggage and the kids and we were just struggling sometimes to get to the next city. And when we get there, everything that could come against us would come against us. But somehow we get that thing set up and we just start going for it, singing and doing the material. And I know that for people that don't really believe, they might not understand, but to actually have the spirit of God with you as you're singing and speaking and portraying the gospel of Christ in through a heavy metal genre is was amazing. Mm -hmm. There were nights when we would be doing the Messiah and I would look over and Michael and David and I, we would be in tears. I mean, just literal tears because we knew that God was with us and we knew that we were doing what we were supposed to be doing. It wasn't a rock star deal. Even though, you know, God's gracious and he let us be who we, you know, you like to mm -hmm. rock. We all like to rock, but it's a little bit more than that. Right. It was all of that, but also the message and uh, the tears and the emotions that went on with the boys in the band were always related to Christ. What was it that kept you and Michael together? You know, you mentioned his best friends, but business partners too, because that's what it is. Not, not business from a, from a financial standpoint, but the business of Bloodgood was always Les Carlson and Michael Bloodgood with all the different membership changes and the sabbaticals that you took. But what was it that kept you guys together? It was the friendship. I think that we went, had gone through so many uh, struggles and victories together that in that you form a bond. It's almost like being warriors in a battle or whatever. And uh, it's an unspeakable bond. It's hard to describe. You know that you've had that in the wrestling career. So mm -hmm. in my time with Bloodgood, that's what that was. And so we always had that. Mm -hmm. And there's no way that you can break that apart. There's there along the way, you know, Michael would have, he would think we should do this and I would think we should do that. We had, normal disagreements but as far as the solid friendship it was always there and we always had that common hey we're warriors mm -hmm. we're in the trenches as michael would say <laughs> <laughs> and we together what about michael as a as a musician in my opinion just a great bass player great watching you guys play just a few months ago he was still on top of his game talk about that a little bit yeah Okay, so Michael was raised on the Beatles, okay? Mm -hmm. And the bass player for the Beatles, Paul McCartney, was a great influence on Michael. Not just Paul McCartney, because Michael was really well-versed. But he had that sense, uh, he would play like a writer, you know? He, mm. he was creative. He wasn't just doing a part. He was adding something to the ensemble that really brought the rhythm section alive. It was melodic, and he held it down, too. Right. Yeah, he had a, a wonderful sense of music, almost like, and you know, almost like ballet. I mean, this guy was well choreographed in what he did on the on the fretboard, and his presence. You know, I mean, 
that guy looked like a rock star. <laughs> it didn't matter if he was in a coffee shop, you know, it was like, right. he, was, <laughs> he always looked like a rock star. And, uh, you know, we'd go, I'd go stay with him sometimes. And, uh, Mike and Marilyn and I would go for walks in the morning after tea, you know, we'd go for a walk and he'd, he'd have just the right sweatpants on and <laughs> he still looked like a rock star. It was great. Just uh, like I said, when you see him, he's, uh, even when he was doing his uh, sermons on Sunday morning, he was doing Zoom church services that I would attend, you know, every couple of weeks when I, when I could during COVID, during lockdown, yeah. he still had his shades on, right. you know, perfectly manicured, black beard and hair <laughs> rock and roll uh pastor God. yeah i mean there's nobody like michael i mean there's just nobody like michael and uh there never will be he's special and he but wow what an influence i mean when we'd go up to seattle and hang out we'd go into a restaurant or something and uh, it was just like, wow, what just happened to us? Blood goods came in, you know, <laughs> Both in Maryland, such, so charismatic and so full of life. Absolutely. And so attractive, you know, great sense of humor too. Very, uh, almost corny. Yeah. Times. But we like that corns. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Somebody wanted us to do dad jokes together, do a podcast. We never got around to it, but it would have been great. It's funny when we went and saw you guys, I was with my friend McCoy. His last name is McCoy, but everyone just calls him McCoy. And I said to Mike, this is my friend McCoy. And he goes, wow, I finally met the real McCoy. <laughs> and it was just like so bad. Yeah. There you go, Mike. <laughs> That's funny that you say that because when I heard of Michael's passing, you know, one of the first people I thought about was McCoy. Hmm. Now that's crazy. Yeah. The reason that I thought about him is because of what McCoy said about Michael and how he was so impressed that Michael was the man that he was. And that when this happened to Michael, McCoy actually texted me and said, it should have happened to me, not somebody like Michael. And we had just met him. So yeah. I don't really know McCoy. I've had some, but wow. I mean, I just want to say that that's kind of the heart of Michael and the way that we think about people and fans and folks, you know, that everyone is so important yeah. and so special. So yes, he's the real McCoy. And <laughs> How has the, the feedback been from fans and, and, and friends? I mean, I'm sure it's been overwhelming so far. There's been uh, thousands of comments. I think the world is, the, is shocked. The, the Christian genre of metal and music is shocked. And, uh, you know, everyone, everyone is moved. And everyone has been moved by Michael and his contribution to the music and the gospel. So, yeah, we're all in shock. But, you know, we're so also so excited that everything that he's been talking about and the reality of Jesus and all that, now he is face-to-face. -face. He's actually there, more alive mm. than we are. So we rejoice in that, but we're so sad that he's not here. When I think that I can't call him anymore. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. that stuff. What do you do now? I mean, obviously the music must continue on. Um, and you were talking about how reinvigorated you were less with, with this gig and Michael as well. You were writing songs for a record. All the songs were great. Do you, what do you continue forward uh, performing? Yeah, we do, but um, there will never be another blood good. I'm not going to continue on this blood good. Michael gotcha. and I talked about that. And actually, I mean, I remember saying to Michael, you know, Michael, if something happened to you, I'm not going to continue on as blood good. 
I will continue on, but I don't want to take the name mm-hmm. and, and do that because it's just not blood good without you and without me. And he said, the name. Mm-hmm. and so that's, that's truly the, we're going to stay true to that. I mean, I, I, I've got a new album coming out because when Michael went into the hospital, I thought, you know what, everything in me says, keep going, keep going. So I, I'm doing that. And I'm almost completed with that. So that's going to continue, but it will not be called Bloodgood. I can be Les Carlson from Bloodgood, but it's not going to be billed as Bloodgood. Do you have more motivation now? I mean, obviously it's going to be strange to not have Michael by your side, but do you feel a responsibility to continue the music that you created together that means so much to so many people, even more so than ever now that he's not with us anymore? Yeah. I mean, without a doubt, I have more resolve now than ever. I mean, my mind is just flooded with how am I going to, you know, I just need to carry on the calling and the legacy. And there's a legacy of that Bloodgood has. And mm. it, I mean, it's so vast and we've never really, really delved into it. But I'm, I'm hoping that after the dust settles that we'll be able to really get a lot of the music and a lot of the little things that haven't been seen in the story. You've seen the movie, of course, but there's so much more to it. And, and we want that to sustain because our message will still be new and fresh no matter when or what generation hears it. So, but I feel personally, I feel charged up to just continue and to just be doing it even more. So, I mean, I'm, I'm back, you know, doing vocal warmups and I'm 73 years old and I'm like, I got to be fired up all over. I got to keep, get better on my guitar, get better in my writing and write better songs and, so I'm, I don't know that you're supposed to be rejuvenated at 73, but I'm going for it. I just saw the stones two weeks Good. ago and Nick's 79. So you're Thank still a you, youngster. Nick. <laughs> you set the bar so high. <laughs> Will Paul Jackson continue on with you less? Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. Great. So you'll still have the core of, of the Blood Good Band with you then. Blood Good Band was, Blood Good was Michael and Les, but Paul had been with us from the beginning. And then Paul, I mean, he's definitely the guitar player. He's he's played in more music and albums than than David ever did. And and Paul is an intricate part of the band. Mm-hmm. But now Paul is is my musical director and um, great friend, great musician, co-writer, you know. And um, and we're going to continue. Yesterday when we talked, as we were kind of you know just talking about Michael and and crying on the phone and all that he had told me that at that gig at the bmi center just before the show that michael couldn't get his boot on right or something and paul got down on his knees to help michael put his boot and, and he was down there and he said you know something like washing the feet of the disciples you know and like we were joking and laughing about that and and i told uh, paul i said just dawned on me i said you know that's the lord kind of planting a little seed you know, just now knowing what is going to happen because he's seen the beginning and the end. And it's just a little blessing, Paul, that that little moment took place and you're thinking about it now because because that's the way God is. I mean, he's subtle and there it was, you know. He actually served Michael in that capacity and he's the big shot good lead right. guitar player. Down on his knees getting Michael's <laughs> chance on his feet. <laughs> 
Last few things, Les. Is there is there a few stories about Michael that stand out for you? Kind of good memories that you have of him as a person or as a player or your adventures. I'm sure there's a million of them, but is there a couple that stand out? The uh, well, there's there's a lot of things. I mean, the laughter. You know, the guy was funny, and he was funny, and he had that that crazy little sense of humor that was always spot on. Good timing, you know. But uh, when we were in Russia. Well, we were uh, trying to buy some, you know, hats and military coats because it was when the wall had come down and Bloodgood went to Russia and uh, we were there. So Michael wanted to get one of those uh, Russian hats, like the, like the bearskin hat or whatever with the, the Russian, you know, on there. Yeah. And uh, he couldn't find one to fit his head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, his head, his head. Is big, that guy. He had a big head, and so yeah, he had a big so, head yeah. for sure. No, yeah, not, no ego, but physically, yeah. And anyway, so we're like, we just we were, you know, the vendors were were going crazy trying to get him this <laughs> this uh, hat to fit his head. And one morning we woke up, we had this little window. We were in this hotel. We had the window. We were about three or four stories up, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm look out, and the guys down downstairs in the street, out in the street, they were yelling. Big head, big head. <laughs> so I said, "Hey, Mikey, your hat's in. Let's go get it." I go down there, and they put that thing on, and it fits perfect. Yeah, so yeah, that was quite hilarious. So we, yeah, we from time to time uh, through the years, it was always, "Hey, Mikey, big head." What will you miss uh, uh, most about Michael Bloodgood, Les? When I call him up and he says, Hey, Lesky. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that also when, <laughs> when Michael, when Michael would pray, just the demeanor, his voice and the, and the way that he would approach the, the throne room, you know, we would all pray together, but it wasn't, it, we weren't done until Michael prayed. And once he prayed, you know, we were all just moved. He always was so at ease and so at home approaching the throne room and speaking with the Lord. And we all felt that. And his voice was so, I don't know, soothing. Yeah. Powerful and soothing. Yeah. And that, that's Michael. Just a man of great knowledge and great awareness of the word of God. Well, um, it's it's another amazing thing, and this is why we're doing this today, is that we did a live Q&A at your show in Versailles, and I literally had it slotted in for, for today. It, this was the day that I had it slotted in, and by the Lord's will, a few days prior, Mike passes away. So um, we have here, which is basically the last, I know you guys did something at the church the next day, but kind of the last official you know blood good interview ever that no one's ever heard besides the the people that were in in, in attendance that day so we're going to continue the, the tribute to michael Bloodgood with myself you paul jackson and, and michael and his like we said his last interview uh for blood good uh in tribute of a great guy a great musician and um like i said one of the true pioneers in rock and roll evangelism. I just want to say thank you to all the fans and friends and people that have been praying and, and you, Chris, for everything that you've done for us. And uh, we just, we love you. 
and enjoy this because it was a great interview, wasn't it? It was a lot of fun, man. It was a lot of fun. And we'll see you uh, in September at the same venue in Versailles. We'll, we'll talk about Michael and do some more tribute and fellowship about him then. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks, Les. All right. Love you, man. Bye. Love you too, buddy. Bye. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. All right, so this is official. We're going to start this bad boy right here. So we have uh, Les and Mike and Paul from Bloodgood, your hosts for today. And uh, I'm Chris Jericho. And once again, you guys enjoy the documentary, I hope. How does it feel for you guys to watch it uh, on the big screen? Because I've seen it a few times uh, at my house, obviously on a television. But to be with this giant screen in front of people, is it extra special for you guys to witness that together? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's weird to see yourself on that huge screen going, oh my gosh, where did he come from? We, we have uh, we have seen some of the movie premieres over the last couple of years, so we've been able to see ourselves a few times on the big screen, but it's always been kind of a thrill to see yourself up there. <laughs> There's some great uh, blood good humor. I was talking with Paul earlier where uh, he says that uh, a woman offered you a Stratocaster to spend the night with her, and you said, man... I sure do love that guitar. It plays great. People don't know exactly how to react to that, right? That's well, quite clever, isn't it? It's very clever. <laughs> the, uh, what was the other one you said? that the, 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 uh, Was it Jimmy Swagger looking at the back cover of the Detonation album? What was his line that he said? And he goes, uh, these are four questions about our prayer life. We said, well, how does he know about our prayer life? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, how does it feel to be back kind of, I know it's been a few years and you guys are getting ready to do a big show tonight. Uh, as all of us uh, returning to the stage at various times, this is going to be a big, a big night for you guys. Yeah, it is going to be a big night. And uh, yeah, I want to thank you guys for coming and watching the movie. It's kind of like, I wanted to smell a little more popcorn, but, uh, but I thought the number that came was good because I've been in theaters on Saturdays and it looks about like this. So did you really enjoy the film? Yeah, well, to answer the question, it feels, it feels great to, to come back and play. It's, it feels better when you're on a tour because you've done a tour, you're playing. So we flew in for this gig. So we, you know, we have natural anxiety and everything, but we're going to, I think, kick it real hard tonight. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you guys being here and your enthusiasm certainly helps. So it's always good to see people loving what we do. All right? Well, and you have such a loyal fan base, I think, because of doing this for as long as you have. And we see the documentary there starting in the early 80s, 84, 85. And, I mean, you guys really are, I mean, this is the real deal for you even to this day. You're doing this for Jesus and to spread the gospel. Obviously, you're a great rock and roll band. Even just watching your rehearsal today, you haven't played in two years. I'm sure you've rehearsed a little bit, but... It never goes away. As soon as you lock in, it's there. But that message remains the same. And seeing this after 40 years of all the stuff that you've done, um, do you feel that, that 
you've accomplished what you set out to accomplish all those years ago when you wanted to play, you know, rock and roll for Jesus, basically? I, I would say yes. I don't think that we really understood to what degree that it took place, I mean, or how it did happen. And after seeing the movie, it, because I remember when we were out there and it was so hard, I wondered if anybody even knew what we were doing. I mean, we knew God was... We didn't know what we were doing. Yeah, we didn't know. But we knew God was behind it and in it, and we just kept going. We, I would say we kind of feel like the Pauls, you know. We, were in, we weren't in tour buses. We were in some pretty seedy places, and it, it wasn't very luxurious, and it was very difficult. But God chose us, and now I see how special a place that was just because the work that he's done in us as individuals and how he shaped our lives. And I think if we had the big rock star moments all the time, sometimes that's a distraction. So, you know, that humble sort of style is okay. It's good. Jesus was humble, you know. Yeah, when you get out there, you know, a lot of times the only reason that keeps you going is because you know God had called you to do it. Other times, all the circumstances are against you, all the things that are happening are against you. And you realize, I remember when God called me to do this ministry, and he always, always saw us through. Even when times got really, really rugged, he always saw us through. We always came out on the other end going, oh, okay. And I remember last one time we were playing in Germany someplace. We went to this really seedy club, whatever it was, I don't remember. And you said, God, why, why, why do you have us here? He said, because you're willing to go there. And that was just kind of day We were just willing to go where God wanted us to go. I agree. I, I was kind of lucky because uh, I was in the era after the Snickers bar. <laughs> Five dollars so, Snickers bar. So I, I kind of, David would say things like that too, where David would go, man, you came in right when blood goods easy. I, I dealt with it when it was tough. We couldn't buy Snickers bars. You know, so I, I felt like I uh, kind of uh, didn't have to go through quite the deepest part of the trenches, but there were some. But we would get to shows, like we were playing this place in San Jose, and uh, I don't know if you guys are guitar people, but Ingve Malmsteen was playing, and then we were playing the next night. You know, and, and I realized this, this is like a bar. You know, it was one of the places we were playing. We did a lot of venues that were like this, or you know, maybe even some of the larger churches, but... So I go in and I'm just seeing all this stuff, all the secular stuff, uh, you know, and they're, they're ser serving alcohol, which is rare for a blood good show. Um, but anyway, so we get there and I was starting to get kind of an attitude and Les is going, what's wrong? And I go, we shouldn't be here. I mean, we don't, this is not our thing. These guys are pre-functioning, they're drinking, you know, this is a total secular place. And so I, I was like, down. I mean, I was just, I was having an attitude about everything. And, and Les goes, you know, by the time we're done with tonight, you'll find out why we should be here. And he goes, if they don't like us, that's okay. You know, but he goes, don't sell Christ short on what we're doing. And so we played like one or two songs. The place was just filtering in. It, it was nuts. It was great. So I learned my lesson not to like second guess. So either second guess God or Les or both, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Less is God. <laughs> Small G. <laughs> I, I was going to say, too, in, in 2022, I mean, everything is so much more acceptable, and people are just kind of like, whatever you want to do, do your thing. But when you're talking about 1984, 85, uh, playing in a Christian metal band, 
and I've talked with Michael and Robert Sweet about this as well, was very much frowned upon. And you had a great line in the documentary saying that the Christians were fa uh, fasting and praying that we wouldn't come, and the Satanists were fasting and praying that we wouldn't come, and, and everybody in between. So you really had to be uh, focused and committed to what you were doing back then when people were against this so much. Yeah, I remember uh, Whiskey A Go Go, you weren't there, but <clears throat> along those lines, um, Capitol Records had come in to see us that night. And uh, they told us they didn't want us to preach. They didn't want to hear us talking about Jesus. They just wanted to see the band to see if they would distribute the group and everything. Well, I mean, we didn't say we were going to do that. We, we didn't agree. <laughs> Well, we thought we'll just get up there and see what happens. And darn, I just started talking about Jesus, you know, and uh, <laughs> and and we were just so moved by that. And and they sold nothing. I mean, they didn't sell any any booze or anything like that. And at the end, uh, they actually tried to throw us out of the whiskey. It was it was pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty good, really. They Think almost, about all the bands that have played there, all the decadence in the whiskey. And it took blood good talking about Jesus to finally Throw take it over the edge. Where's the lions? I mean, you know. <laughs> exactly the crucifixion of the lions. Um, but but you know, and Michael, you can answer this. Uh, was there a lot of protests uh, in front of your shows during your shows um, from either Christians, Satanists? Anything? Oh yeah, especially at the beginning. When we uh, did, I think, our first show was in Lufkin, Texas, right? Yes. And uh, it was kind of crazy. We, the people were out there with posters, big, huge thing of me in my costume saying I was a homosexual and all that kind of stuff, thanks to Jimmy. And, and so we, we, we encountered this for the first three years, I think, just a lot of protests, people coming out. The Ku, Ku Klux Klan wanted to get us, which we, we, we never figured out what the connection was there. With why they didn't, I don't know. But... Uh, and then the, the, that very first show, uh, we'd finished the set and the lights went out and somebody came up and grabbed me. And I thought, that's it, I'm dead. I thought somebody was going to knife me. Wow. And it turned out to be just kind of a, uh, an excited fan, you know. <laughs> Thank you very much. Without a knife. Without a knife, thankfully. <laughs> or at least it was blunt. So, yeah, we went through a lot of that. We, and we got a lot of great publicity out of it as well. NBC, right. when we were in Fallbrook, came down to, from San Diego to see what the, all the hubbub was about. And, of course... The people who were opposed to us wouldn't be on camera, but we were happy to be on camera. So we kept turning into the heroes. But it was really sad because, you know, these, I call them the Aryan Christians, were always out there protesting us, yet they didn't listen to our music, they didn't listen to our lyrics, they didn't know our family story, they didn't know our testimonies. They just had foregone this conclusion that this is what you guys are. Like I said, Les said, people kind of go, oh, you didn't come to Christ because these guys can't lead you to Christ. What? So yeah, we, we put up with a lot of that stuff for at least the first two or three years, yeah. It's great too because like as a, I probably 13 or 14 when I first found Striper and Bloodgood and, and before that, and this is not cutting anybody down, but anybody that was a Christian metal fan or Christian rock fan, it was the Rez band and it was Petra and God bless them, but they just, they looked like my dad. Like they just, <laughs> you know, they, they just didn't look cool. And you'd be like, eh. And then Striper comes out. And you mentioned with Bloodgood, too, you put a lot of time into the costumes. And because this is what the look was yeah. 
and and you you had to embrace that and it actually opened up the door for kids like myself to go all right these guys look cool so therefore i'm going to check them out because there was a lot of that imagery in the 80s that you had to focus on oh, yeah. yeah we used to say it took longer for us to get ready for the show than to actually do the show <laughs> you know those, those spandex are not forgiving well, i also like the uh the hard, giant, get, hard getting them off too <laughs> The giant, what the, like the kind of beaver tails or whatever you had on your side on the one there, yeah. Um, Peter didn't like that. Peter didn't like that. Peter was after you too. See so the oh, yeah, Satanists, yeah. the Christians, and wearing animal skins. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is seventy-six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy-six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Uh, we'll go through some of the questions as I interject some of my own as well. So um, this one says, uh, what, are, what is your funniest memory story from the road is there a funniest one that stands out for you funny i have not i don't know if it's appropriate though <laughs> oh great <laughs> get your mind out of the gutter michael <laughs> okay I'll, I'll make this as short as possible in case joyce is here but so we we, we were <laughs> remember that oh yeah we were, we were a little bored coming across the midwest and Okay, so maybe I'm, I'm showing that I have attitude a lot because I had attitude again that day. You're a guitar player. It's it's, okay. I guess so. It's, it's just, I guess it's just, you know, what I am. But so we're in that RV, and it's just been hours and hours on the road. And Les wanted to check some stuff out on it because we actually, at one point, a not funny thing, it, it kind of blew up and on us. So that was another, another story. But anyway, so uh, I got a little bored, and uh, I knew Les was going to take off. He goes, well, I'm going to climb up on top, get into the overhead compartment, and grab a few things, and then I'm going to run into uh, uh, Walmart. I think it was my first Walmart I ever saw. Um, <laughs> not anymore. But uh, so I see him, and I see him change his mind, and he starts heading into Walmart, and I'm supposed to move the RV, right, when Les gets off of it. So I get in the RV, and I think, you know what? I might have a little fun with Joyce. So, <laughs> sorry, Joyce. I start up the RV, and I start pulling away. And she goes, hey, be careful. My husband's up there. And I just pretend like I didn't hear her, and I just got a crazy look in my face. And I started driving that thing across the parking lot, swerving and doing S's. And <laughs> I won't say exactly what Joyce said to me. <laughs> Yeah, this is a mixed group here. You have to be careful. <laughs> but, I, but I slammed on the brakes and started listening. I was like, I was supposed to be a joke. But did you ever serve in the military? <laughs> in the Navy, specifically? That, that was mine. I got a ton of them, but uh, yeah. you guys might remember other ones. My favorite. This, how, do we have any children in here? No, good. We were in an RV together, 11 of us, all the time. So, you know, we wanted to be a little bit intimate, so we would room with Les and Joyce, and then they would leave, and then we would, then we would leave. You know, it worked out great. So this one time, we were at, uh, uh, where were we? 
Mount, Mount Rushmore. Rushmore. Yeah, you can't it's, forget it's, Mount Rushmore. It's, it's 9 o'clock at night, and I've got that look in my eye, and Les goes, hey, Joyce, let's, let's go ahead, you know, so they took off. It was great. We take a drive. And then, right? you know, with Paul. Paul, I want to show you Mount Rushmore. It's night. It's nighttime. I don't care. They'll be fine. You get ice cream or something. So we, we came back, and or they came back, and we left with Paul to see Mount Rushmore again. And uh, let's just say when we came back. So then it was our turn. It was their turn. (laughs) These are funny stories. And when we came into the hotel room, they had completely, I mean, the pictures were sideways. The whole thing, they they, they just gone crazy. And of course, they spent all their time getting this room ready for this big joke that we had done, that they had done for us. So I just, I still. Well, not all the time. Not all the time, not all the time. But I just, I just thought that was just hysterical. I still love to tell that story. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't really have a sense of humor about it. <laughs> Being on the road. No, I, you know, I, I just uh, think we, we had a lot of laughs out there. Things like we used to do the pig. Now, if you don't know what the pig is, what you do is you lay down on, the, on this sofa there and you have your head hanging off the edge and you get everybody to look at you this way and then you put a set of glasses right here and you start talking to people. Well, you look like you're a pig. Your mouth, <laughs> your chin looks like a pig's n- nose and then you know, the, the glasses look like the eyes, and you got this little teeth, and you got a turtleneck, and the, you know. Because you're upside down. Yeah, you're upside down. Right. And, and so we'd do the pig, and, and we're thinking, like, we were dying with that. And we were going, man, we really got nothing to do out here, do we? Yeah, you get really, uh, when you're on the road for that long, for that many months, everything becomes really funny that's really not that funny. We had more corn jokes, because, you know, you drive across, well, you guys, you live in the Midwest, right? It's just cornfields. There's no mountains, except maybe a freeway overpass. So we started making up all these corn jokes on the C, because we had CB radios back then, you know, still no cell phones, just pay phones, CB radios, and maps. And so we would start telling corn jokes, because we were all tired and we had to keep the drivers from falling asleep. So, you know, hey, there, are you confused about that? No, I, you know, I, we just went on and on and on to where people were yelling at us Never to please stop. Or we, we would do, uh, or we would do a thing where you would insert a movie, you know, a movie title or a, a song title, and you would have to insert the word "foot." Yeah. So it'd be like, "I want to hold your foot," by the Beatles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know that, and yeah. was, and you can imagine. I mean, I I I said Monday Night Football. <laughs> Didn't go where. Yeah. 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 Nobody laughed at it then either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I can't wait for you guys to play Foot of God tonight. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's See, I'm fitting in with the you guys. Got it, you are. You are. There yeah. you go. Yeah. Um, I right. first saw you guys in 1987 in Winnipeg, Manitoba, uh, at the Saints Roller Rink, which was a roller skating rink. Roller skating was really popular in the 80s. And you mentioned in the documentary when you were traveling in the RVs with the family. Some days you'd show up and there'd be crickets. Some days you'd show up to the Saints Roller Rink and some days you'd show up to the, the venue in Chicago you mentioned it looked like there was probably four or 5,000 people there. Back in those days, was there a way to keep track of where you were playing, what the pre-sales were? Did, were you even privy to that information as the band? Or would you just show up and set up and whatever happened, happened? That's, you got it. Because if we were privy to the ticket sales, we would have stopped the tour. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, our promoter at that time was just letting pretty much anybody that had that liked the band to be the promoter. And this guy was sure, oh, if Blood Gives My Town, it'll sell out. Well, it was just he and his three friends that really loved the band. <laughs> and then some promoters were just absolutely outstanding. They just they did their work and saw it. So we pretty much, it was kind of like a Stevie Wonder tour, we call it, because we played in Rhode Island one day, then we played back here, and then we go back to Rhode right. Island. It was crazy. We always call that the Star of David tour, where you're here, and then you're there, and then you're back up here, and then you're over there. And it's like, who booked this thing? That's more biblical. <laughs> Um, here's another question for Bloodgood. What has been the easiest and hardest thing you have dealt with in your ministry and music? And what would you say to others who are struggling in ministry? So talking about your ministry, what are some of the, the easy things and hard things you've dealt with uh, over the years? Wow. These are good questions. They're yeah, deep. It's, it's a deep question. And yeah, we're reading these questions for the first time, so there's been no preparation. No. I'm sure you can kind of even tell that. I, I would say keeping a drummer. Keeping a drummer has been very difficult for us, yeah. It's difficult for our ministry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, thanks. More questions? More questions. All right. Um, was it difficult? What was difficult? What was I, think, I think, for example, like, you, once you in the documentary, when, when somebody was in the crowd, and this is actually the story you could maybe even tell about this in Germany, and, and he's yelling to F Jesus and, you know, whatever yeah. you said he was saying, and you, instead of jumping on the bandwagon, you jump in to protect him. I mean, that's the ultimate in ministry, but it's almost like, wow, that takes a lot of, of guts. And, and how, do you, how did you deal with that? Because that is a guy who's basically giving you the finger, and you're out there to help him when the other fans are trying to make him stop. Yeah, well, the inspiration was the Lord, because I'm not the kind of guy that wants to jump into a fight. But uh, the Lord said, protect him. And so that's what I did. Yeah. Just don't think, you know. This relationship with Jesus is so real and it is so good. And a lot of times we miss what he has to say because we're thinking about our agenda. But it's good to be spontaneous. If God says move, move. And we found, um, there was one time in Ireland, we, um, they actually were, the crowd was sort of anti-blood good. It was, uh, uh, back when they were, you know, checking under the bus for bombs when they came into town. It was a little scary, the uh, Catholics and the Protestants and all that tension. And, and um, so they, they weren't really excited to have blood good on the bill. There were some other bands. And when they announced us, they said, blood good. And we came running on like we do. Like, yeah, here we go. And instead of getting a lot of applause, I got hit in the chest with a roll of toilet paper. And everybody laughed. And that's hard to find in Europe. Yeah, <laughs> toilet paper is hard to find. It's a compliment. But but uh, it wasn't it wasn't welcoming, and so but we went right off into the first song, and you know, and they were trying to climb up the stage and flipping us off and spitting at us, and and I was going, okay, Lord, um, what am I gonna say, you know, and. It was during the time of the Olympics, the Summer Olympics, where they had the diving and everything. And these guys were trying to get up on stage and do the stage dive. They were trying to be the show. We were nothing to them. And I'm going, Lord, what should I say? And then he says, he gave it to me. So the guy gets up, dives, and everybody's applauding him and laughing at us. And I go, all right, fired up. But you know what? Just in the spirit of the Olympics, I got to rate that dive. 
dude, that was like a seven. <laughs> you know, it, you didn't arch your back, you know, it, and the whole place just erupted in laughter, and we had them. And that, you know, that's the kind of stuff that God does for you. You know, he gets you out of those binds yeah. with those little clever one-liners, you know. So that was keep, cool. Keep it real, too, because we had a, one of the rules you heard about in the movie is that we went to church on Sundays. Even if we got 45 minutes of sleep on Saturday, did a show, we'd always go to church. We're going to church tomorrow, you know. So, uh, so we would go there 45 minutes of sleep, but we, we just kind of kept it real that way. You know, so everybody, we were always tied in. We saw some really strange churches, some really awesome churches, but we always kept it real because we said, if we, if we don't keep it real on the road, we're gonna, we won't have anything to say to anybody. So we had to just always keep our spirits where it needed to be, where our hearts needed to be, so we could keep it real. And the guy from Germany came to know the Lord, and he went to more shows, um, but sometimes the attitude and we've, we've seen this through a lot of letters um some people just have never been loved before and they've never been cared about um and they'll talk about their you know maybe no mom or no father and the one that they do have says they're never going to amount to anything and and they're going to be losers and so they get an opportunity to express themselves and i see a lot of them go into like aggressive behavior gangs maybe follow after a really aggressive music or, or something where you have to make a huge statement to be somebody. And so, you know, when you give them that kind of attention, it just gives them another perspective on life to say, someone does care about me. We initially might be the ones saying it, but it's really when they seek God and when they ask the advice, that's pretty much how it all starts is, is pray, seek, read, you know, and it will reveal itself to you. We don't, we don't have to do much after that, you know. So just wanted to do a follow-up to the German guy, not to think that maybe he got beat up later anyway, and now he's, you know, in prison. <laughs> he's saved. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Question for you, Les. It's um, actually a pretty good question. Uh, I know there are time limits for such and such for a film, but Les went from doing lines of coke to being a Christian and blood good in the movie can you touch a little bit more on your transformation from rock and roll guy to rock and roll Christian guy? Yeah, well, I was uh, working in a bar and as a singer with my wife. And, but if you're talking the, the length of time, you understand that we did actually get saved from the influence of a Christian who came and played keyboard in our bands. We didn't know he was a Christian, and of course, when I found out, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I can't do this. And the, so the transition actually happened pretty rapidly, really. After that, on the film where I said I kind of backed up, when I thought, wow, there must be something real about Jesus, because why would I react that way? And I read a book, More Than a Carpenter, and the author was talking about how all established history is, you know, is written, and, and the fact that Jesus Christ um, 
was here, is it, it's accepted. And George Washington, we don't debate, you know, whether he was here or Abraham Lincoln, even though we didn't see him, but they're, they're historic figures. And Jesus Christ was a historic figure, and he claimed to be God in the flesh. When I read that, it was like something really hit me real hard. It was the Holy Spirit or God. And I knew that I had to have this change. And I literally felt like maybe I could describe it best when I was in junior high and I fell in love with a girl, you know, and she didn't love me or whatever. And that, you know, that, oh, that aching, like, oh my gosh, I just, I'm in love and I don't know what to do about it. I felt that way about Jesus and I'd never met him before. I mean, I was just like, I just had this drive so that when I finally asked him in my heart, it just, the language changed, the attitude changed. I think I smoked weed maybe one or two days longer and realized, oh my God, I don't want this. And I mean, I didn't want to perform anymore. I didn't want to do anything except read the word and get to know Jesus. And I actually uh, prayed that God would dissolve the band graciously because I had seen other people become Christians and then say, well, I can't do this anymore, so we're not going to do that and we're not going to do. And I just said, Lord, that's, that doesn't fly with me. I don't think that w that's not what you are like. So we just said, could you dissolve the band? We prayed and he did. You know, the guitar player got a, a gig in studio. Everything just dissolved real gracefully. And I started roofing houses. I got out of the club business. And uh, I, I didn't want to do any more music. I just wanted to follow Jesus. And my pastor came to me and said, hey, you should sing for Jesus. And I went, oh, really? He goes, yeah, he could use you. And I'm going, oh, I never thought of that. You know, so then I got with this guy. So <laughs> The rest is history. Yeah. This is a great question. Mike, you want to start with this. Um, if you had to do it all again, what would you do differently? There's a philosophical question for you. I don't know that I would do anything differently. I mean, a year and a half of prayer time, just when I got this idea, when the Lord gave, I really believe the Lord gave me this vision for the band. And, you know, I just, I don't think I would do it any differently than I did it. I mean, it was bathed in prayer. When we started the band, when we got the lineup, we started praying. And I think, I think we did everything right. I don't have any regrets with this band at all. We, we actually said, when we got together, on Tuesday nights, we would get together every Tuesday with the wives and the guys in the band. And we had a, a rule that we had to pray first. Don't pick up your guitars, because if you do, then we're already off into that. So we always prayed first after we were done praying. Then we got to pick up the guitars and write. And that's why I think we got so many great tunes right in the beginning. Mm -hmm. yeah. Paul, anything you would have done differently? Yeah, I can't think of anything. I mean, it's not, not it's, cut your hair before the first gig. That was a mistake. <laughs> I would have loved to have enjoyed it more when I had it. <laughs> but, I found it really interesting, uh, not to interrupt you, um, when you said that Def Leppard's management was paying attention to the band at, at one point. Did they not know what you guys were singing about when they were reaching out to you in the first place? Or? Well, She's Gone, She's Gone was on the radio up in, the, in Seattle. Ah, gotcha. And I guess there was really no, you know, it wasn't as blatant Christian, even though there is a Christian message. But it was 
doing well on the radio, and uh, I think they heard it and liked it, so they just yeah. went deeper with us. They actually flew Mike and I down to, where was it, somewhere in Irvine, Southern I think, wasn't it Irvine? Yeah. yeah. We were backstage with Def Leppard, and yeah. okay, what are we doing here? And there's, you know, it was <laughs> pretty decadent, and uh, yeah. All right, uh, here's a good one for you. Uh, what, is, what is the future for Bloodgood? How long will you continue to make music? Uh, and would you ever do a concept album or a Christmas album? So that's a, that's a really weighted question. So I guess, first of all, what jingle is the future bells, for Bloodgood? Jingle bells, jingle bells. The future oh, is to do another album. It is, is to ride in a one-horse <laughs> open sleigh. Hey, hey. here, release that. Uh, Bootleg it and release it. Uh, yeah, so future. I, I want to do a Christmas album, at least uh, maybe three or four songs. That would be really cool. And we're doing a new album right now. We're in the process. Nice. Hey. You know, it's like, you know, the Bible says, you know, if you, well, I'm going to go here and sell such and such. And you don't know. So we don't know. We keep pressing forward. God really had his hand on me when we put the band back together in 2007. And he hasn't withdrawn it and said, time for you guys to stop. So we want to, you know, of course, COVID stopped everybody for a couple of years, but we're hoping to get back like this, doing more shows like this, and we've got a new record coming out. So we're, we're just going to keep going until we can't go anymore, I guess. It's I would be like B.B. King, man, just <laughs> yeah. you know, sit in your chair and, you know, and then... You, <laughs> That's it. Don't you don't know, need a chair yet. Don't yeah, not chair. yet. Last year, Christmas album called Christmas Carlson's. Ooh, yeah. yeah, well, we were thinking about, you know, doing an instrumental album only as well without any vocals so it'd be more music and less carlson by bloodgood <laughs> thank you very much thank you very much <laughs> if i could reach the drums i'd hit the uh the snare <laughs> shot there um oh here's a good one. Oh, you mentioned you just mentioned this what uh, a great segue whoever wrote this question was the song she's gone uh written by somebody uh, in particular or, or written, written about. I'm sorry, sorry, written written about someone. Yeah, actually, David and I wrote that song, and um, David knew a girl that had passed, and um, he had started this song, and then I came in with him and and wrote the uh, lyrics. But it was, um, you know, we we had done what's following the grave on the first album, and we got a lot of input from people. I think the guy that Steve. Uh, really was moved, Steve Barhorst, who owns this place, uh, really liked that song. And, you know, I think we learn more at a funeral than we learn at a party. And that's biblical. I mean, mourning is good for the soul because you learn. You're, you're, you're burying somebody. You're put, putting them in the ground. You've got to take an accounting of what's going on in your life. And so, yeah, it's, there's always a message at a funeral a memorial, that sort of thing. And Jesus says that's more important than partying. He doesn't say you can't party, though. But he does say that's more important. You know, I'm a pastor. Most of you guys know that. But I love doing funerals. It's kind of weird. Because we go to do a wedding. It's, it is. It's a party. Like, this isn't going to be long, is it? Because we got some hors d'oeuvres to get to, you know. <laughs> you go to a funeral, there's no pressure about that. And, and the rubber is meeting the road and people are dealing with a very real situation. That person is dead and you're here to, you know, memorialize him or celebrate his life or her life. And that you've got just a great audience at that point. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? 
also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Uh, this is one for me. This is Chris. What got you into blood game? Christian Rock. But, so here, it's something you mentioned was interesting because that, that Art Shock America uh, magazine cover that's in the documentary, I had that issue. And I read about Bloodgood, and, and once again, because Striper had just come out, and I thought, well, if there's one, there should probably be other ones. And there was a great review about Detonation. So once again, the, the look is great, but the music is what really got me, because once, this is not just a gimmick, this is great playing, great hooks, great, I remember the drumming on Detonation just blew my mind, because if you think about it, the first three songs all have drumming intros and just so my question I guess to, to bring it back to something to ask you guys is the lyrics were very Christian but they spoke to me as a teenage kid you guys weren't teenagers at the time how were you able to to do this where you could make it relate to a kid like me what was did you have some sort of a mindset about that how can we take these lyrics and make them relate to a teenager because you must have been about 30 at the time, Lesser. 36. So, I mean, and, and, and not, this is not a joke, 36 to a 14-year-old, you might as well have been 100. Almost. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so, I guess, how were you able to, to relate that to kids, which is what your demographic and market was? Well, I mean, the imagery of the Bible, I mean, the, just the, the Psalms, the... Proverbs and you know scripture reading scripture and then putting the music with it and the drama and the intensity of Christ um, I think it just was it just flowed out of us I really think it was inspired you know because no I, I don't have that ability to go yeah I'm, I'm pretty hip to what 18 year old guys like you know yeah but same thing you know that they love that kind of music and uh, you know I mean they do I don't, where are all the guys that are 18 that like that kind of music these days, though? I, it, maybe it's changed a bit. It's but, changed. But, I mean, you had a great point in the, in the movie, the documentary, talking about, like, eat the flesh, you know, drink the blood of Christ. I mean, that's pretty heavy. There's, that's pretty heavy lyrics. That's scriptural. Yeah, that's scripture. Holy yeah. fire, you know? It's just like, that's pretty, pretty heavy imagery right there. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of our storylines just came right from the Bible. Awake came right from the Bible. You know, I mean, you know, eat the flesh. They're just... They're biblical stories, so they they feed people. Mm. You know, I, oh, how can I write this song to reach a 13-year-old? That, that thought never entered my mind. You just had things you wanted to see, Black Snake, you know, talk a song about the devil, you know, or Heartbeat of the City, about the, you know, whatever. It, so it wasn't anything intentional as far as an age group. It just, we're at the right place at the right time, I guess. Yeah. We got a few more questions here. This is a good one, though. Uh, I'm kind of paraphrasing. They're wanting to know some stories about touring in Europe, but. You mentioned that in Europe towards 92, 93, you guys were huge, and the, 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 the footage you have, those halls are packed. And it wasn't the case in the States. So what was it about Germany and Europe that you felt made you a bigger band over there than, than here? 
We kind of address it in the movie because when we get to Europe, you know, over here it's, you know, you got secular, you got Christian and Christian radio and non-Christian, you know, it's kind of crazy and everybody segregates you. In Europe, there's none of that. I mean, the only, seg- the only label we got was being white metal, which means we were kind of more positive. But you know, like Les said, you know, you could, you, you're looking at Bon Jovi, you're looking at Iron Maiden, and then there was Bloodgood being reviewed in the same magazine in the same space. They didn't put us in the back of the magazine or something like that. It was real, so they never treated us like they do over here. So it was just, we had an equal playing field at that point, so it just worked in our favor. Is that, do you feel the same, Paul, with that? Yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, we were uh, driving around and we're listening to the radio, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, that's one of our songs. Yeah. I mean, what, this is really weird, is it a mistake? Uh, because it was really sandwiched in between Madonna and I think, uh, what is that, More Than Words song that was out with Extreme? Oh, yeah. Extreme. yeah, and so, and then we're, we're in there too, but it, it really, <laughs> it's, again, every time I talk, it's another story, but, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the thing that was a little shocking is uh, the record sales over there didn't match the amount of uh, people that knew all of our songs, so I think that was getting right about into the whole maybe Napster era and, and all that, you know, which is good promotions. It could have been a bad record yeah. label deal. <laughs> but it was crazy to, to like go play the, and the, they're so loud singing every lyric. We're like, wow, we only sold 30 records here. It's, no, I'm just kidding. We sold more than that. But, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I agree. I, it was just nice not having to worry about going someplace and being judged by more than just the quality of music. So. Yeah. Uh, Mike, isn't it true that all the best bassists use a pick. Absolutely. <laughs> Only the weenies use their fingers. I don't know how you dig a trench without a pick. And that's what I'm doing on bass. So I, I've, I've always been a pick guy. You know, every now and then, a, you know, a, a, some mellow song will come out and I'll use my fingers and stuff. But to me, it's just you got to get in there and get dirty. And they asked if they can have a pick. That's right. You have to catch one at the show if he's throwing them out there. Um, this is interesting. Andre from Ottawa, Canada. Wow, yeah, that's a, that's all a right. uh, Having so many people criticize you guys, have you ever thought that the critics were right and maybe you should give up or should have given up? Well, we're here, aren't we? No. But I will say, when, when we get a critical whatever, I always take that criticism to heart. The messenger may be a jerk. I mean, you know. But the mess, what he's telling me might be something I need to think about, you know. So, but um, no, we we uh, we don't think they're right. <laughs> Last few things for you guys, because you have a meet and greets and coming up. What's your favorite song to perform live, and what's your favorite album you have made? Each one of you can uh, answer that one. Favorite album? Favorite album that you've made and favorite song to play live? No, they're like children. The songs are like your children. That's I right. mean, you know, you just, <laughs> yeah. you just love doing uh, everything, really. Um, favorite song? I like doing, I like doing Lamb of God, Crucify Messiah. I like that whole thing. Uh, but there's, I mean, there's a lot of blood good stuff that I like. I think probably one of my favorite songs to play, just for fun, is Never Be the Same. It's such a up song. It's the and end of the show. It's the end of the show. You know, I, we just—that's always been a fun song. But as far Not as a favorite show. album, 
I, I, I don't know. I mean, I like out of the, I like them all. I mean, they are, they become your children after a while. And you don't the next know. one. Yeah, the next one. The next album will be my favorite. Uh, yeah, I'm dangerously close is my favorite, um, but it is weird. Like Les is saying, some parts of Out of the Darkness, you know. I mean, there's some things even playing wise, which is another strange thing. Uh, not just the ministry wise, but I've performed some things, uh, feeling in the spirit that I I couldn't reproduce exactly. You know, I mean, you just kind of catch that whatever you call it, lightning in a bottle or whatever. But uh, when we were doing Dangerously Close, uh, I came up with the music for Lamb of God before I gave it to Les. And I came up with it so completely that I did the solo and said, you know, here's the solo, here's everything. But I didn't know about the solo being the, the solo, right? So um, I'm sitting there and my wife's getting a little impatient. She's out here somewhere. But she's like, how much longer are you going to do that in there? Because I'm sitting there in my underwear and I'm in front of the computer on Pro Tools and I'm just playing, I'm kind of zoning. So that solo that you hear on the record is the solo from when I was, well, now I give you a visual. I'm sitting in my Recording underwear. underwear. <laughs> yeah, okay, so I'm wearing a sweatsuit. No. I was but wearing leather pants. Leather pants. I got, you know, anything. But no, but funny enough, when I went in to do it, I couldn't quite give it that same performance. It sounded similar, but to me, there was something magic about it. So that, when I think of that album, I think of that solo. When I think of Out of the Darkness, I think of Out of the Darkness solo. There, with me, it's kind of like some of the solos that I mm, thought were, cool, yeah. yeah. So. Last thing, Les, I want to ask you. Uh, Paul had some, um, here's some inside information. Paul had some uh, travel problems last night. And Les, uh, you gave Paul a pep talk. When you get here, and things are going to be great. It's been such a strange couple years uh, the world is so crazy right now. Do you have any words of, of wisdom and, and, and advice for all of us as, as to how we can, you know, we're, we've kind of gotten through the pandemic, but you never know what's around the corner. Like, I really enjoyed what you told Paul. Can you, can you give us some advice on how to continue to have happiness and get through all this? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that it's, um, we all have enough trauma and in our lives, even on a daily basis. I mean, there are issues that, that um, can cloud who we really are, who we really want to be. And uh, this was very stressful because the Jacksons didn't make the flight. It was just a, it was a very tough time. And I dealt, in my mind, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is making me have anxiety. And I, and, uh, I was sort of upset with the situation. And, I, and the Lord said to me, Hey, you know what? Just embrace people. Embrace when, if there's problems, if you're feeling uh, bad, embrace with truth and, and love and peace. And it works out. That thing with the prodigal son where he, he left and then, you know, the older brother was there doing everything right. And when the squandering son comes home the father just runs to him with passion and you know in his robe and he offers him the ring and he offers him the the fattened calf and this kid didn't deserve anything but what the father did is the advice that I would give you and myself that's how we should treat any and everyone who has a bad day we should embrace them we shouldn't criticize them and you know 
demean them, we should draw them in. That's what Jesus would do. And so I think that's how we get to that place of joy, is remembering that real true peace comes from actually loving people. And the Lord did say, they will know us by our love for one another, not by our backbiting or criticisms or opinions. And I think that is where life is. Wow. Great way to end it off. Guys, Michael Bloodgood, Les Carlson, Paul Jackson. Big show tonight. Thank you, guys. It was a blast. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Chris you. Jericho. Thank you. I mean, this guy is amazing. And I, I just want to, I, Chris, I don't care what you think. I, I want to I say this. And I, I'm just saying it because this was an example of what I just said. Last night at 1 o'clock, uh, Chris has got a limousine. He, he was driving Joyce and I around trying to find something to eat last night. And he it's has an SUV. A, he has a, okay, it's a driver. He's hired the guy to drive him. And he knows that they've been beat up. So what he does, when they come in at 1 o'clock in the morning, he gives the limousine over to, to Paul and Faith. And Chris calls an Uber and goes to his hotel. Not too many people do that. Awesome. And I'll tell you, that's when this trip started really turning around. <laughs> but he is the real deal. And I'm a huge fan, and I'm trying to keep my fandom intact because you, I mean, he's a huge deal. But uh, as soon as last, last this conversation with me basically started with, it's going to be okay. Sometimes that's all we need to say to somebody no matter how stressful it's going, because I was pretty close to having a Clark Griswold moment at Christmas vacation where I just rattled off every word, you know. But, but he, got, he got that, but then uh, right after that, we land, and then Chris Jericho comes, he's like, Paul, let's go, buddy. I was like, that's pretty cool, you know. Anyway, so. You can pay us back by putting on a killer show tonight. Yeah, we will. Thank you, Chris.